as we come to consider this part of God's word, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word and we ask now that you would give us uh, insight and understanding and that you would help us to respond to you uh, with faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, nature can be a powerful thing and, and a frightening thing. But perhaps you've uh, had the experience of swimming in a, a rough surf at the beach and the waves are big and, and you're diving under wave after wave and, and it's, you're, it's hardly, you're hardly getting your breath between waves before the next one comes and, and maybe there's a rip that's kind of dragging you sideways and, and you start to feel a little bit scared. You feel like you're losing control. The power of nature can be a frightening thing. Uh, I, as many of you know, I like hiking and about uh, once a year I, I get away with my brother for a couple of days and, and hike somewhere amazing. Uh, one of these hikes back in 2010 was in a, uh, a place in Tasmania called Pine Valley. Has anyone been to Pine Valley? I have. It's a great place. It's quite remote. Um, beautiful. And we, we went there, we hiked, we camped, and that, that was the campsite. Anyway, can you just imagine there was a tent on that rock there. Uh, it, was, it was great. It was cold, actually. It was very cold. Uh, but it was, it was spectacular. And we, we, we saw some amazing views um, looking over, over the, uh, the area. Um, that's the mountain we climbed. We climbed Mount Gerion, and there was great views from the top. And while we're up there, up the top of this mountain, uh, there, a change in the weather came through, and it, it, it came through pretty quickly, and it started snowing. Now, it wasn't your kind of, you know, your nice, typical, fluffy, gentle snow. It was blowing a gale. Here's some footage of it. Thanks, that'll, that'll do. We, we can go on and on. Anyway, i just gave you a little sample of it. It was full on. The wind was howling. The snow was, was horizontal, as you can see, and it stung your face as it, uh, as it hit you. It was sort of fun. It was a bit of a rush, but it was also a little bit scary. And it made me realise that if you're caught out in the wrong place, the wrong circumstances, with the wrong clothing, you could really get into trouble quickly. Nature is a powerful thing, and it can be something to fear. Why? Why do, we, why do we fear? Well, ultimately, really, we're fearing that, that we could be harmed or even that we could die. But of course, you don't have to be stuck in a snowstorm on top of an isolated mountain in Tasmania to experience fear. We face all sorts of fears often in life. Some are irrational fears, some are irrational fears. But fear is a real part of life in this fallen world. Bad stuff happens. People have accidents, people get sick, people get hurt. We face all sorts of dangers all the times. As I said before, our family's just returned from a great two-week road trip holiday in central Australia. Uh, we, we did a lot of driving, 7,245 kilometres to be exact. And uh, one, of the, one of the things they warn you of on the, on the roads is the danger of hitting animals on, on the road. Uh, thankfully, we didn't hit any animals, but the thought of the possibility certainly went through my head. Here were some emus that were wandered across the road. Um, fortunately, we saw them far enough ahead that we stopped and actually took a photo, photograph of them. The, the thought of the possibility of, oh, gee, we might hit something uh, went through my head. We, we face all sorts of fears in life, big ones and small ones. Will I hit an emu? Will a car break down? Will my kids get sick? Will I lose my job? Will that person keep hurting me? Will I, will I die? 
Fear is a real and common experience of life in this fallen world. And we see that in today's passage before us in Luke 8. Jesus' disciples and others around him experience different types of fear. And Jesus steps into their midst and with immense power brings salvation and life in the face of fear and death. You might be familiar with these, uh, these accounts of Jesus' miracles, but I want, I want to ask you to look again with me. Be reminded, be refreshed by who Jesus is, by what he's come to do, and by how he calls on us to respond to him as, as we live in this world of fear and death. So firstly, we see in this passage, we see Jesus' authority over nature. From verse 22, his disciples were confronted by the power and the danger of nature. Verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. They were on the Sea of Galilee. The uh, storms could come quickly and unexpectedly. And this was a serious situation. Now remember that, that some of the disciples were professional fishermen. They, they knew what they were doing in a boat at sea. But this was a serious situation. The boat was filling with water and they were, as it says, in great danger. Uh, to give you a bit of a, a feel for the power and the danger of a storm at sea, uh, have a look at this, this little video clip. Now, that's a pretty big pretty big boat we call it a, a ship really wouldn't you these jesus and his disciples were in a little fishing boat they were in real danger and so says the disciples went and woke jesus master master we're going to drown they say we're we're perishing literally we're, we're dead it's all over Notice that they don't wake him and say, oh, look, uh, sorry to disturb you, Master, but we need you to do something. We're we're facing a storm. They say, Master, we're dead. What does Jesus do? He says he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Incredible. And then he said, verse 25, Where is your faith? How would you respond at this point? Imagine you're in the disciples' shoes. Or imagine here just today, a a huge storm starts to build up right now and the the wind starts to come and and, and the rain starts to pour down and there's there's lightning and thunder and maybe we could get Bertie to do some sort of, get us all doing some sound effects and um, that's that's Bertie's little kid's talk, isn't it? Imagine it's just got intense and then then the wind comes and and, and the roof starts to peel off and then rain's coming in and, and then Bertie stands up and says, stop, be still. And suddenly... The wind stops and the rain stops and it's still. And then Bertie says, where is your faith? How would you respond? (laughs) Bertie would be very surprised. I think you'd respond the same pretty much as the disciples. What does it say? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him. You'd be fearful. You'd be asking, 
Who is this guy? I mean, if he has that kind of power over nature, I'm a little bit nervous to be so close to him. I'm fearful. And you know, that's right. These disciples probably knew their Bibles, uh, including the Psalms. And in, in a number of the Psalms, it talks about the one who controls the sea. We read before Psalm 104. This is speaking of God. It says, But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight, took to flight. God is the one who rebukes the waters. Well, Psalm 107, verse 28, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this man, they ask? He is the Lord God. This shows us who Jesus is. He is God become man. He has the power and the authority of God. He can command and restore creation. He can save his people. Well, secondly, in the second account, we then see, firstly, Jesus' authority over nature. Secondly, we see Jesus' authority over evil as he encounters and saves a man who is demon-possessed. Now, we may not consider the, uh, the idea of demon possession uh, much, but the Bible makes it clear that, that there is a spiritual realm with evil powers and that Satan, uh, the evil one, is, is active in leading people in rebellion against God. That's true of, of all people left to themselves. But in some situations, this takes the, the form of, a, of an obvious overpowering of the person by evil spirits. We may not see it much in our our Western materialistic context, I suspect that, that uh, more often Satan uses a more subtle approach of leading people uh, to doubt his existence and also to doubt the existence of God or anything, anything spiritual and thereby confirming people in their rejection of God if they believe there's no devil and they can believe there's no God and just happily carrying on ignoring him. I think it's interesting that in other parts of the world that aren't dominated by uh, atheistic materialism, I understand that instances of demon possession are, are more common and more obvious. And it appears that this was the case in Jesus' day. And considering who Jesus, who Jesus is, it's perhaps not surprising that there were so many uh, conflicts between him and the evil one as, as Jesus came into this world to confront and defeat him. Well, here in, in Luke 8, Jesus encounters this man who you could say, was the ultimate expression of demon possession. He was from the region of the Gerasenes, a Gentile area, therefore outside the people of God. He was, it says, a man from the town, but 27, for a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And then skip down to halfway through verse 29, it says, many times the, this impure spirit had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And in fact, verse 30 says his name was Legion because many demons had gone into him. This man was kind of the ultimate expression of demon possession. He was naked, demon possessed, unable to be contained, living alone in the place of the dead. He was the walking dead. And yet the demons were, were no match for Jesus. Look there with me, look, look at verse 20, 28. It 
says, when he, when he, the man, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Jesus is in complete control. He commands the evil spirits to to come out of the man. He sends them into a large herd of pigs and and they rush down the steep bank into the lake and are drowned. And then verse 34 says, When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? They weren't fearful of the demon-possessed man anymore. He, he wasn't a threat to them anymore. He wasn't out of control and dangerous. They were afraid because of Jesus. Who is this man who can transform someone from being naked, out of control, roaming through the tombs, to being clothed in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet? So verse 37 says, Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to stay and teach them about the kingdom of God. No, it doesn't say that, does it? They asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat and left. They don't want to be around someone that powerful. They don't know if they can trust him. On the other hand, the man who'd been saved, who'd been healed, he, he wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him home. Verse 39 says, Jesus said, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Makes the point pretty clearly, doesn't it? Who, who is this? Who is Jesus? He is God. Come to us. Come to save us. Jesus' authority over nature, his authority over evil. Thirdly, he came with authority over sickness and death. And and here we have this account of Jairus' daughter and the sick woman, and and the two accounts are kind of woven together. Both of them are facing the devastating effects of of life in this fallen world. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter uh, is dying. And this woman had suffered continued bleeding for 12 years. In in addition to the physical suffering she experienced under Old Testament law, that condition would have meant that she was considered spiritually um, unclean. She would have been an an outcast, excluded from, from worship with God's people at God's temple. And so like the the disciples in the storm and the demon-possessed man among the tombs, Jesus' daughter, uh, sorry, Jairus' daughter. And the sick woman, they live under the shadow of death in this fallen world. And so Jesus came with power to heal and to save. Now, the woman knew this. She knew that Jesus had power. And she, she, even though no one else could heal her, she, she knew Jesus could if she could just get to him and, and just touch him. And so amongst the, the jostling, pressing crowd that's around Jesus... She, verse 44, came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Immediately. That's power. 
Jesus knew, knew and, he, and he said, who touched me? Which would have sounded like a pretty funny thing to say in amongst, you know, there's all these crowds pressing in on him and, and almost crushing him. But I think in a way what's funnier is, is what, um, what it says next. They all denied it. You know, I, I didn't touch you. you know, it wasn't me. He pushed me. No, no, I didn't. They're all crowding and pressing in on, on Jesus and they denied it. And then Peter, as usual, is the one to state the obvious. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word. This spiritually unclean outcast, living under the shadow of death, has been saved. She came to Jesus in faith, trusting his power to save her. But surrounding this incident is the the account of Jairus' daughter, uh, Jairus was a, says, a synagogue leader. He was a man of influence and significance. But he came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading, it says, pleading with him, verse 41, to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. I have a 12-year-old son. I can't imagine the fear and anxiety Jairus would, would have experienced at this point. Jesus sets off to his house and he goes to help. But as they're on their way, someone comes from the house with bad news. They say, verse 49, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. What awful, soul-crushing words. Your daughter is dead. But verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. We know what happens, and so we kind of go, oh yeah, no worries, it's all good. But what a test. Don't be afraid, just believe. You you can trust me, Jesus says. Well, they they go to the house, and in the morning the wailing has already begun, But Jesus and Peter and John and James and the girl's parents, they go in and it says, verse 54, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. She's completely restored. She's raised to life. It's over. She's well. Give her some some food. She's probably hungry. Most normal 12-year-olds are. She's cured. She's raised to life. Jesus has authority. Authority over sickness and death. But what does this mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus will always keep us safe from storms and evil and sickness and death. Like, you know, as if we've got Jesus in our pocket, then we'll, we'll sort of live a charmed life. No, we live in a fallen world that is plagued by all these things and, and suffering touches our lives in, in, in different ways. 
Jesus didn't come to just sort of instantly zap away all the suffering. He came to deal with its root cause, namely sin. He came to bring the, the ultimate solution of forgiveness and salvation. He came to open the way, not just to a kind of blessed version of this life, but to eternal life in a perfect kingdom of God, a restored creation with no evil or sickness or death. A, a reality that he came to bring, a reality that these miracles point to and, and just give us a little foretaste of. But even though we, we still wait for that, we still wait for that ultimate fulfilment in the world to come, this salvation begins now for all who trust in Jesus. It means that we don't face the fears of this world alone. Jesus has come and Jesus is for us. The Son of the Most High God has come to save us. And he calls on us to trust him, to believe in him, to put our faith in him. He says to the, the fearful, doubting disciples, he says, where is your faith? You can trust me. He says to, the, to Jairus, who's processing the news of his daughter's death, don't fear, just believe. You can trust me. Jesus is with us. He's for us. We can trust him. I'm reminded of, um, of what is possibly a familiar passage for many in Philippians 4. We're going to look at Philippians, uh, we'll look at this passage more in a couple of weeks' time. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus has come. The, the, the Lord is near. And God's peace will guard us. We should trust him. His peace will guard us. Notice how and where it will guard us. It will guard us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is where our ultimate peace, our security our blessing is found. So let me encourage you with this, this picture of the Lord Jesus in Luke 8. Jesus, in all, his, in all his immense power and authority, Jesus, in all his grace and kindness, has come. He's come to save us from living under the shadow of death. He's come to give us life and hope and peace. And as Jesus said to Jairus, let me say to you, don't be afraid, just believe. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we thank and praise you for your immense power and authority and for your grace and your kindness. And Lord God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the one who is Lord over all. We thank you that he has come, that he's come for us, Thank you that he is with us by your spirit and that we can indeed trust him. We thank you for the salvation 
from our sin and for the hope of your coming glorious kingdom. Father God, please help us as we live in this fallen world under the the shadow of death. Please strengthen and help us not to fear, but to believe, to trust you, to follow you and to live depending on you day by day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.